those resolutions go. That's exactly right. So typically, the third week of January, all the people that study people tell us that it's whatever whatever resolution was made is gone now. <laughs> At least for the the vast majority of people. And so I find it interesting, even the whole concept of a resolution, there's nothing in, inherently wrong with it. But I do think when we talk about our faith and sort of growing and following Jesus, we have we have better tools than just resolutions. Although I'm not at all opposed to sort of disciplining our minds and our hearts to think about who we are in Jesus and where we're going. But I do think the concept of a resolution falls short. And that is basically proven because as was just mentioned, most people by this time of the year have completely forgotten about it. And, and this is just a side note question. Uh, I know I feel this way. I'm curious if you feel this way. Christmas was like less than three weeks ago. But does it not feel like it happened five and a half months ago, right? So so there's something that happens in our minds through this season where it's this peak of like emotional energy. And then the next thing you know, it's sort of like the beginning of January. And it's like it never, it never happened until, I don't know when you start celebrating Christmas, but my wife starts going Christmas music in October. So, uh, you know, I've got about six or seven months left before Christmas begins. But these holidays sort of mess with our psyche. And so today what I want to do, since we just wrapped up the official second week of January, and this is truly where people's lives start to take on their normal rhythms again, a little traveling ends, people are going back to work, uh, you know, if they had vacation time or whatever. I want to look for the next couple of weeks uh, about, uh, from a prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians. And it's interesting. Uh, we've had a lot of conversation sort of about what our next steps as a, a church are, and that stuff's going to come out in the weeks that follow. But what is interesting is uh, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is how we were getting ready to begin the new year last year. And obviously in late February, early March, the whole COVID thing kind of derailed a lot of stuff. But what was clear to me is that as we were talking about the future of, of restoration and the future of our lives in the kingdom of God, that the sort of direction, the steps, the new springs God had begun raising a year ago are really still new springs today. And so I want to spend some time talking about what it means to invest in ourselves in such a way that we actually make investments in the kingdom of God. And to do that, for the next two weeks, we're going to look at a prayer from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. We're not going to study that whole thing today. We're really only going to study one, one clause. But nonetheless, I want to read this to you in its entirety. A little background note. So the, the church in Ephesus is a very important to Paul. It's actually considered his, his crown jewel, although we can rightly derive that Philippians is the church of Philippi is probably the church that Paul had the most affection for. Uh, the church at Ephesus was very critical because it was a uh, it was a very important city, and so getting the gospel there really really mattered because it was a place where it could go to other places rather quickly. And so the Book of Ephesians, generally speaking, is a is a pretty upbeat book. It's more an exhortation and an encouragement for Christians to think about the early Christians, anyways, how they're following Christ. And Paul says this, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You can already see in the beginning of that new family that Jesus creates at the foot of the cross. Uh, Paul begins talking about it. We're bound together by a new name for those of us who are in Christ. And he says, I pray out of his, in Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He goes on to say, and I pray, two times now he's mentioned prayer, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high. 
high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he goes on to say, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And amen, in case you don't know, is, uh, uh, depending on which language you it's, it's not affirmation truth. Truly, truly is what it really means. Okay? So, we just wrapped the second week of January, and these first weeks are, are interesting because we've likely had forethought about the future. And I don't know where you're at with your forethoughts, but we are now knee deep in a new year, and this is where the challenges begin. What's, what I find ironic is that it, January, for some reason, becomes like a reset button for people. And we even saw this, especially if you spent any time on social media, which I would encourage you to spend as little amount of time on social media as you can. But most of the memes in the last week of December were, were talking about how, how they couldn't wait to end 2020 and get into 2021. As you know, you know, things are largely the same. Nothing is, even though mentally we might think there's a reset or a mulligan button in the world, that's not how it works. The, the continuum of time and events just sort of continues to flow the way that it normally does. And so we began two weeks ago, we were gone last week, which was actually really good for us. We got to go with the extraordinaries, our family, and spend some time together. I appreciate the, the time away. But the, the week before that, we spent some time corporately praying and meeting together, which is a tradition in our church. And today, what I want to do is maybe layer a little bit onto that importance of prayer. And so this teaching is really good, not just for this week, but for us to sort of anchor into our hearts at a time when resolutions and thoughts and, and our next steps can get a little fuzzy and wobbly, depending on what's going on in the world. What I love about a text like the one we're looking at today is that it shows us we, we're anchored, meaning no matter how wobbly the world is, we have an absolute anchor in Jesus. And so with this in mind, what I want to do is take Paul's words here and just look at a handful of them today and then some more next week. Because what Paul does for us in this passage is he's He's sort of encouraging the church at Ephesus to remember who they are and who they belong to. And out of that comes some incredibly powerful stuff, some rich promises. In other words, there's a, a whole beautiful host of things, uh, a healthy byproduct, we might say, of a person's, from a person's ability to really root into Jesus and understand what he has done for us. And so Paul not only talks about this, but he clearly practices this in his own life. A lot of what we're reading from Paul is not just something that he wrote about is actually a discipline that we can see in his life. And so this year, what I guess I, I want to ask you all to think about, this has begun in, in small ways and will hopefully roll out in some larger ways in the weeks that come. Um, about a month ago, my community group decided that we were going to each take a day and pray for our friends, our family, our church, the events of the world. And we all committed to that for a full week. Um, and what we want to do in the weeks that follow is offer you this opportunity to sort of join this journey of prayer with us. But before we do that, I actually think it's kind of important that we talk about the significance of, of praying. And so what we see here is that maybe if you, if you can hear me saying like one really good spiritual next step for every Christian in this room, everybody watching, would really be to ask ourselves to what degree, if any, do we value the importance of prayer? And I say this because in Ephesians 3, 14 through 17, multiple times, Paul says, and the, the place I want to really focus on today is Ephesians 3, 14, Paul, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And so there's this emphasis in his life 
about praying for very particular things. And the particular things he's praying for in this case is the advancement of the gospel in the world. And so Paul here gives us a really invaluable insight into why he has such a, a strong faith or a robust faith in Jesus. And it's found in that little verb, I kneel. It's, it's sort of a, it's like a poetic way to say in verse 14 that, that he is a person who recognizes that what is before him needs to be prayed about and over and forth. And he's even praying that the presence of God's Holy Spirit would be in, his, in, in him and in his people. And it's very clear that in a passage like this, it's, it's very easy. And this is, I think, one of the challenges with the world we're living in. It's very easy to skip the front end of a verse like this, or the verse section like this, and go to the back end. Because the back end carries with it a, a ton of really great promises, right? Like God's going to do great things in your life, uh, measurable hope, and all these sort of like cosmic promises of goodness are at the end of this. And that's absolutely something to focus on. We're going to talk about that next week. But what is often neglected is sort of the discipline that precedes those, uh, the fulfillment of those promises. And here what we see is that Paul isn't just sort of high or in the sky hoping for these things. He's actually praying and following Jesus in such a way. He's close enough to Jesus that he's, he's actually experiencing these things. And he wants the people that he is ministering to to experience them in the same way. They're not dusty words in an old ancient, you know, in, in a book of antiquities. It's actually a living truth in a book we call the scripture that is designed to help us to understand how to know and grow in the grace of Jesus. And so some of the promises, being rooted in his love, living in strength and power, being filled with the fullness of Christ, it's very easy to just gloss over something very important in this passage because we immediately want to latch on to those great promises. And I'm not at all discouraging you from latching on to those promises. I'm just saying we actually see that Paul is regularly praying for them. He's not just expecting them to come out of nowhere. In other words, he's going to God on a regular basis in confidence, expecting him to deliver on these promises. And so what Paul shows us here is one of the most neglected words in the Christian faith today, and it is the word discipline. We're going to talk about that here and have a question in a moment, so prepare yourselves. Now let me explain. Paul, next to Jesus, is my favorite and I don't even know, this. it just sounds wrong to say this, but he's my favorite person in the Bible. There's lots of great people in the Bible. But uh, Paul, I just, I don't know, there's something about Paul I resonate with. Uh, maybe it was the beard. And it's interesting because Paul is somebody that I find incredibly encouraging and discouraging. All right? He's, next to Jesus, it's, it's kind of hard to argue that he was not probably the most profound figure in the New Testament as far as the causes of Christ go and the expansion of the church. I mean, he's responsible for a sizable amount of the churches we read about in the New Testament. He really committed his life to, to the work of the Gentile mission. And that I find very encouraging. It's pretty amazing looking at sort of his, his faithfulness and his ability to endure incredible struggles and trials. You know, he's had worship services in jail while he's in Philippi. And, you know, I'm, most of us are probably trying to see if we can get it by 1015, right? It's a, what a contrast in his life and in modern Christianity at times. But what I think is interesting here is that's what makes Paul interesting. He's someone that's super encouraging, but if you if you look at him as a standard, it can be kind of discouraging at times. And I don't think that that is what his, his life is meant to portray to us. I actually think what, what his life is meant to portray to us is a real person who had real issues. I mean, this is a guy who was killing Christians before he comes to Christ. We know that he struggles uh, with this thing called a thorn in his side. There's lots of theories on what that is. We don't exactly know. 
least confidently, but we do know that he had something that, that was, uh, was a vice thing, there was a problem in his life. And so we see a guy who, through trials and tribulation and challenges, is faithful to Jesus. And a natural question, whenever we see this type of behavior, at least for me, to ask is, why is a person like this? Why, why do we have, like Hebrews says, sort of heroes in the faith whom we can look up to, men and women who have really served God well? And, and meaningful, not perfectly, but in meaningful and deep, deep and rich ways. And what I would say to you today is, is that one of the hallmark characteristics of a person who really does something significant for God, for somebody who really understands who they are in God, is that they practice or they have in their lives the rhythms of spiritual discipline. Now, I want to ask you a question here. There's only two today. I want to know what happens in your mind when you hear the word discipline. Spiritual discipline. What does this word communicate? Because uh, there's a host of meetings connected to it. What does this word communicate? Let's just say somebody is hearing this teaching for the first time from Ephesians, or maybe it's the first time they're online, and there's a you know, Christian pastor here talking about discipline. What are some of the ways that this word can be interpreted or understood? What are some of the takeaways? Maybe good and bad. So the word discipline has a sort of rigidity to it. Yeah, it seems like military or, you know, a parent with a child. It's a score of things you have to do. It, it, if I heard the word without a context, I would lean more towards negative than positive. Okay, so discipline, absolutely, can, can sort of, like you can almost think of like a military boot camp or something where there's a set of particular things you do on a regular basis to discipline your mind or your, your body. You're right. The word the word doesn't necessarily have to be negative, but it can, and, and I would say probably today, most often is interpreted in a negative way. It carries with it that sense of rigidity that, uh, that, that you're talking about. So absolutely, the word right, right away can really, even though there's an objective truth behind this word, there, there can be lots of ways that people sort of try to understand it. Good and bad. What else? What else comes to your mind when we think of uh, discipline or spiritual discipline? Difficult. Okay. Uh, uh, potentially set, uh, a sense of difficulty, meaning um, a discipline is, in this context anyways, it, you know, I hate to use a word to define a word, but it requires discipline. It actually requires that we, we set apart time and effort to, to really make something of, of importance, almost of greater a great way to look at discipline in this context would be to think of like professional athletes um, or anybody that's involved in any athletic activity. You know, these are folks that are constantly like, I, I ran track in school and wrestled, and you were always trying to like beat your last time by a tenth of a second, which in the real world means nothing. Like a gazillion tenths of a second past a year since we've been talking. But the truth is that most athletes are constantly trying to fine-tune their skill and ability to be just a little bit better so that they can compete in greater stages. And so, absolutely, discipline does require, it requires a level of, of commitment, uh, serious commitment. That's one of the ways this word uh, absolutely can be understood. Anything else? Another, another thought on uh, discipline. So somebody put online something that will be hard that I will might fail at or will probably fail at. Okay, so we have an online comment. Uh, so, and they said something that, that 
God that I might fail at or might not fail at, correct? Or will probably fail oh, at. probably. Okay, so the assumption is, is um, might or probably are strong words. Like it's something that we can't actually, uh, we can't actually do. And I would argue that uh, when we talk about discipline in this sense, that failure actually is a, is a part of it. And I'll just go back to the athletic analogy. You can, you can discipline yourself to run a race and lose. And I guess by really, really poor standards, that's considered like failing. But the truth is that if you have progressed in your life in any way, if, if the practice of that discipline has actually caused you to become a better person in the sense of your athletic ability, then what that means is uh, maybe you lost the race, but you, you, you actually have won the larger uh, reality of what you're trying to accomplish in your life. What about um, discipline from the sense of correction, right? Can't, that, can't this word be used in that sense too? Like uh, when you... Uh, somebody is disciplined by uh, a court or there's a disciplinary action in a school. Uh, this word can also carry that connotation, correct? Okay. So here's, uh, here's what I want to talk about this morning. When we speak of discipline in this sense, spiritual disciplines, I don't mean them from the angle of, although, although discipline is in other places in the Bible, used in the context of correction. There actually are places where Jesus talks about uh, spiritual discipline is essentially always aiming at restoration. In other words, whenever you go through those, bring it to your brother and then bring it to your brother with two other brothers, the idea there is that you're trying to help restore somebody back to faith. That's not the type of discipline we're talking about today. Here we're talking about the disciplines of the faith, simply meaning the things that are actually important for us, the the evidence, as you might say, of what it means for us to be um, a Christian, what that actually looks like. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go acoustic if that's cool with you guys today, right? Sure. So, I've shared this with you before, a quote from a, can you hear me in the back? Good. From a, a really well-known author named Donald Whitney. And Donald Whitney has written several books, but one of the most profound books that I have read from him is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And what it talks about is like 10 or so rhythms that are present or need to be present in the life of a Christian that help to create a, a fertile soil in our lives for God to grow his grace in. So he says this when speaking of, of spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. He wrote this. his book, Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life, Christians have been redeemed to pursue a life of godliness. And the spiritual disciplines are the God-given means we are to use in the spirit-filled pursuit of godliness. And this is my favorite part of what he says. Godly people are disciplined people. It has always been so. And there are biblical texts that actually talk about us discipline our, disciplining ourselves for the sake of God's righteousness. And so in this sense, what the word discipline means is that we recognize the significance of our goals, our objectives, our aims in life, in this case, growing in God's grace, and we begin to orient our life around that. In particular here, we have this, this truth of, of prayer, and the significance Paul uh, aspires to bring about in everything he does and says. And so it's fair to say that when we speak of the disciplines of the faith, there are going to be sweeping deviations on how one understands 
the importance of that truth. And I'll just give you a very obvious one. It's, it's a very polarized reality. But the truth is I, is I have met Christians who, who say they love Jesus and are reading their scripture every day. And I have met Christians who proclaim they love Jesus and don't even own a Bible. And I'm not trying to say that in any kind of hard or callous way. But here we would say it is very important if we want to know the truth of Jesus that we actually are reading the truth of Jesus. But you can speak to some people who don't think that that's important. And that is going to be true of a lot of the disciplines. Is what role do we see them as significant in our lives? And this is because we live uh, in a Christian culture that oftentimes seems to want to be spiritual. They, they want something that looks spiritual or, or feels spiritual. And this is maybe even true of the, the culture at large. The idea of spirituality is kind of in and, and a little hip. But there's not always connected to that a desire uh, to discipline oneself for the sake of something. In this case, godliness. And the way we say restoration, that godliness is brought about, this is certainly not the end all be all, but these are three categories of which a lot of things dangle from. It's the faithful study of scripture and praying. It's by genuinely being engaged in a church family. I know that that's been turned upside down on its head over the past year, but nonetheless, we continue to move forward and to press on. Truth and community is very critical, and that's going to come up here in a moment. And the third thing is that we, we really are engaged in some type of selflessness in the way that we serve and love our neighbor. So it's knowing the truths of the Bible, it's being in a community with people that know the truths of the Bible, or at least are growing in that, trying to trying to accomplish the same objective, and then pouring out those truths that change our hearts into the lives of other people, wherever God provides us opportunities to do so. And of course, there are other spiritual disciplines. You know, lots of stuff has been written about this, but it's kind of clear to me that all of them dangle from those three those three headings. And so think about this in the scripture. This is a book largely concerned with God showing us who he is and leading us into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with him. The book of Ephesians, the theme is pretty much fullness. The idea is that Paul, in everything he writes, is trying to help us have a, a renewed vigor, a fullness in Jesus Christ. These disciplines are mentioned quite a bit. When you look at the great revivals in the Old Testament, they are always preceded by a, a resurrected importance of understanding the law. Right? In other words, the words of God at some point in our lives, they can become less important than they need to be. And where God really does seem to manifest himself in, in very strong and meaningful ways is where people really value the importance of, of wanting to know God for the way he's revealed himself, not necessarily wanting to know God for the way that we would like him to be. So there's a, there's a bit of a paradigm that comes out of this statement that I kneel before Paul does anything. And he goes on again to say, that he prays. And this, this is a statement I use a lot. It can be applied to a lot of different things, but I want to read it to you in the, in the context of what we're talking about today. When we read a verse like this, or verses like this that talk about great promises that God gives us, the degree to which you can experience God's promises and fullness in your life is directly connected to how much of a priority you make knowing the God of those promises by making the spiritual disciplines a part of your life. Let me say that one more time. The degree to which you can experience God's promises and fullness in your life is directly connected to how much of a priority you make knowing the God of those promises by making the spiritual disciplines a part of your life. God gives them to us so that we can deeply know and experience it. So think about this. Uh, if we ask for peace or want peace in our hearts, if we want to truly understand 
what joy is, what hope is, what perseverance is. I read a verse this morning that talked about God making his people steadfast. Like how is it that we can endure challenges and difficulties in life? All of these are things that God shapes us to be and to become. And I guess I'm just trying to say this morning that it's going to be really hard to truly become those things if we disconnect ourselves from the from the being part of, of, of becoming. Meaning, to understand who we are in Jesus precedes what we actually become. When we understand, for example, that we are a beloved child of God, that actually has the a profound power to shape or reshape the way we understand love. As opposed to just going right to the word love and you know, defining it in a Monday morning quarterbacking way. We might get some form of love, but not necessarily the kind of love that is talked about in the scripture. When we are faithful to practice these disciplines, what happens is the, the heart, and when we speak of the heart of the Christian faith, we really do need it as sort of the, the epicenter of our decision making. In, in, in the Bible, anyways, it's sort of the, the thing that drives our, our actions and our emotions in what we do, what we say. By investing in these things, particularly prayer here, we create a bit of a fertile soil in our heart that God can, can work in, or easily work in, you might say. And so I always like to say that the spiritual disciplines are, are more like nutrients, that when we practice them, they, they really help us to grow in the grace of God. They, they're contributions we make in our own lives that, that actually help us to experience these these promises that we've read about, or have heard about at least. Now, I want to ask you another question here. What are some, and we can look at this in one of two ways, from both the positive or the negative, what are some habits, and I use it in a good way, what are some habits that are important to the Christian life? So this can be answered in the sense, like I just said, it's kind of important to be a person who um, has a desire to know God's truth, okay? That's important. What are some of some things that you feel like are important and some things that you feel like maybe are neglected in today's world? I'd love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on this. Prayer. Okay, prayer. I would agree that it's, it's very important to be a people who, who, who pray, no question. That's the whole, whole context of what we're talking about here. What, and why is it important? What, what are some of the benefits that, that prayer bring about? So those of you who are here, prayer, prayer can really feel like an action is sort of what it sounds like you're saying. And it, because in essence, it doesn't feel like we're doing anything. Even though we are doing something, it's not necessarily the, the hands-on kind of doing that, that uh, laboring in an area that we're praying about, might bring about. I would say there, there is more of, a, of an instant gratification that sort of comes from doing something. Physically than, than praying. And I'm not saying that that's good. I'm just saying that it, it, is, it is different. One is a very tangible act, what we do. The other is, you know, however we pray to God, to God, speaking to Him. And that doesn't necessarily immediately solve a problem or raise a, an answer to a question we have in that particular moment. So uh, I said months ago that for some of us, praying, it, it, it's got two places in our lives. We either 
either go to the plow or we go to the knee. A lot of folks will bypass praying, and I, I think the problem with that is you can't actually really experience these promises Paul talks about if we do that. Um, or you can actually just pray without doing anything, and that's a problem also in and of A lot of times when we pray, the solutions we're looking for, the challenges we're working through with God, um, oftentimes he leads us to places where we are actually a part of the way the prayer is, is answered. So, excellent. What else? What are some other thoughts on, um, on prayer? Well, prayer is actually an addition that you're talking with the living God and it establishes a, a rapport. Rather than just sitting and saying home, you're having a dialogue with a living person. Okay, so prayer signifies that, that there is someone real and active and alive on the other end of this thing we call our faith, correct? Right. And that is very important. It is very important to know that we serve God and we can speak to, that we, uh, like in this case, Paul prays confidently to. And we know, because Scripture is clear that God wants to be known, we know that it is not God's desire to like hide himself from us. So I do think what we pray about often reveals where we are in, in life. So if we're praying for hope, peace, that's likely because we're in a season of life that's very tumultuous. And the one encouragement I want to give you with praying is to pray like Paul does. Paul prays confidently for these things, like expecting, maybe not the immediate moment, but expecting that when, when we ask for these things, God's going to provide them. He, he really believes that the people in the, in the, the church at Ephesus are, are going to know the power of God, that they're going to experience the, the beauty and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not an if, it's a matter of a concrete belief of, of God actually working in these ways. One other thing, and then I have something I want to say, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up. One other thought possibly on, on why prayer is such a significant part of, of our action. Those are things in some ways you kind of can control. You can check it off that you've done it. You, you've got a measure of control over it. When you pray, there's no guarantee that you're going to feel differently when you're done. There's no guarantee that what you prayed for will, or asked for will be answered in the way that you think that it should. There's no prayer of the timeline, you know, guarantee of the timeline of the things that you pray. So it requires this active faith that there's this person listening to you, and the person that's listening loves you and is willing to act on your behalf. And like for me, prayer is the thing I struggle with the most because it is something I can't control. Yeah, so inherent prayer is faith is what you're saying. And a lot of times we a lot of times when we need your reactive prayer is it's because we realize something is out of control. Uh, it, it's almost like we are we're brought to the end of the reality of what we can and cannot bring about in our lives and that automatically catapults us into wanting to invite a greater authority, for lack of a better term, into, the, into whatever we're dealing with to deal with it. Um, now, obviously, with, with prayer, our goal is that it's more of a dialogue. It's something that we're, we're doing on a regular basis through, through crises and when there is no crises. But you are right that there is a, a vulnerability and an element of faith in this. And I think this is why it's very important to, to know truth. Uh, so... The more we know the character and the nature of God, the more likely we are to know how to pray to God, i.e. God is a good God uh, who provides for his children. He 
He's a God who, who keeps in mind the hurts and the troubles of Israel. He's a God who works for them. He's a God who can redeem them, according to Romans. There's some really powerful things that the Scripture teaches us about the nature of God, and both what He says about Himself and the way that He acts. And I do think that this is where uh, the aspect of faith comes into play. Because unlike, you know, a movie where in 90 minutes there's a protagonist and an antagonist and then the problem is solved and we go home happy, that's how most Western film is, a lot of times we might be praying for things that are years or decades. But that doesn't mean we should stop praying. And in, in a true sense, you're right that uh, some of the things we pray for are significant and they are out of our control. Uh, like Paul praying for the movement of the church at Ephesus, there's only so much involvement he can have in that. He, he can't be every nook and cranny in the work about an Ephesus. At some point what happens is there's, there's a, enough trust in the character and nature of God and the people shepherding this church that you know Paul releases this church. This is what he does in every other area. And so prayer does, I think, require us to healthy prayer anyways, to know that we can go to God for anything. But knowing his character is what I think helps us to overcome the, the, the safety of the vulnerability aspect of it. And the contrary is true. If we, for example, like if I were to if I were to speak to you for the next month about the actions of Zeus in Greek mythology, and then say, go ask him for something, most of you would be like, well, hold up, uh, like he gets up on the bad side of the bed, what happens? That's how the Roman gods were too, right? They, 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 they people sort of shape their lives in fashion or around what they understood the gods to be and to do. And if you look at most of the pantheons throughout history, the gods are shifting. That's how they figured out how to how to handle life. And we don't want to we don't want to be praying to God thinking that He's a shifty God. We want to be praying to God knowing that He's a good God, a God of truth. And this is sort of where I want to wrap up today, because the word truth, the word discernment, is it's an important word for us to know. Right now, at least in my lifetime. Um, and I said this like two years ago when we were at the movie theater. I talked about the sea of voices that call for our attention in life. There's anytime you go anywhere, anytime you turn a, 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 the television on or you're watching a program or YouTube, you know, wherever you are, where people are, there are things talking to you. They are marketing advertisements or people that have expectations about uh, how they see the world and why they think you should see the world in the same way. We live in a world where people, politicians, uh, news pundits, online influencers, this is a whole new thing, philosophers, movie makers, spiritual gurus, authors, advertisements. Like, I saw the best Saturday Night Live skit last week where it was one of those skits where you ever see the car commercials where, like, the the, the husband or the wife, he hands the, the husband or the wife a uh, key to like an Audi. And the, the commercial, the, the pun was really funny because what happened was is the person gave them the keys and when they found it was actually a car, they were, it was so much in debt that they had the biggest fight ever about the fact that they bought a $90,000 car. They didn't talk to the other person about it. And it was funny because that's probably what would happen to most of us if we just decided to drop like a hundred grand on a vehicle like that. And so you, you, you know, during the season of Christmas, you see this stuff in front of you and you can see that not even, that there's, there's, there's something not entirely truthful about that. I.e. it becomes comedic satire, right? So there's no shortage of people or places or things in this world that are demanding that we live our lives by some set of rules or, or promises or expectations or priorities. And I'm not even saying that every one of those things is wrong. All 
the ability, because of God's truth in community, to be able to know truth and to discern truth. So we know whether or not buying a vehicle like that is a good idea, or whatever the, the spirits of our era are, there are lots of them in our world today, we can rightly discern what is good and what is true and what is noble and what is right. Because there is literally an endless sea of voices right now demanding our attention. And as people who love Jesus, I think more than ever, it's really important that we that we look to him as a true north and we understand his truth. And I would take this a step further. We don't need to just be praying about it. I think now more than ever we need to be acting on it. Simply meaning where there are areas of darkness, the light and the life of Jesus must be there. And here is the real challenge to this, and this is how I'll end. You know, we live in a, at least in the Christian faith, we deeply believe, I talked about truth a couple of months ago, but I'll just react just for a second. We really do believe that God is a God of truth. When Jesus talks about who he is, he doesn't say he's in truth, he says he's the truth. Meaning he's, he's highlighting, even in his world, that there are lots of truths, you know, uh, and this might sound like a high-end philosophy, but if you've ever talked to somebody that said, well, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is not necessarily true for you, and vice versa, yeah, that actually can be true sometimes, like maybe, maybe I have a chronic illness and you don't, that's true for me and not for you, but those statements like that are actually designed to get us to believe that there really is no such thing as truth, and that, uh, and that in a world like the one we live in, we become the people who define what truth is. In other words, w without a God who really can objectively help us to understand what matters, we, in, in his absence, are experts. Humanity, just look at history, we become experts at stating what we think is the truth and what, what matters. And so we, we have a faith that prioritizes a personal knowledge of God lived out in community with, the, with each other. Personal, personal truth with each other. Yet we live in a world that is hyper-individualized, right? And, and sort of cares about its own truth. And so in this sense, I think the thing we're talking about today, one of the greatest impediments that could keep us from actually experiencing the types of promises that Paul talks about here, really is the fact that what we stand on as believers has to be something we actually stand on. Truth and community. Because we live in a world, absolutely now, where uh, truth is highly subjective based on individual motives. And this is true of religion, culture, politics, whatever. We have to know his truth, and we have to be involved in circles where we're vulnerable enough to be able to wrestle with people when, you know, uh, verbally, anyways, I'm saying. We can speak to each other when we're trying to sort out what truth is. Because individualized, subjective truth has led to some of the greatest problems our world has ever has ever seen. And so I'll leave you with this today, that the, one of the great benefits of prayer is that when we are practicing it properly and we have an understanding of the character and the nature of God, it actually allows us to, to depressurize the chamber we might be living in and to absolutely dedicate our minds and our hearts to the things that are true. Like Paul literally tells us, Focus on the things that are good and noble and true and right and just. And there are things, he says, in the, in the sea of voices calling for our attention, from advertisements to movements. There are things Jesus wants us to hear above all else. And I would encourage you to speak, particularly as we move into next week, we start talking about some of these promises, some of these, some of these things that we're able to experience in Jesus. 
really come from knowing Jesus, knowing his character and his nature. And so with that, I just leave you with, with this word of hope, that, uh, that God's truth has been present in the world since the world has been present. Um, it's always faced issues like it has today, and God's people, every, every era of the church in particular has had its own season of challenges. But what I love about the Christian faith is that it continues to persevere. It, it continues to press on because God is the founder, he is the author, the sustainer, the perfecter, the finisher, not just of our own lives, but of the faith that has called us to be part of a family of. And so there really is great hope in not just the person we love, Jesus, but in the message we can carry uh, to the world. That is both as us as individuals and as corporately as a church family, no matter where you are in this, in this season of life. And so I do pray that you would hear what Paul says here from the angle of the way that Paul says it. He is praying with confidence and enthusiasm that God's people would continue to grow in this amazing reality of what it means to be God's people in Jesus Christ. Don't settle uh, for anything less. And I pray that as we move to a brief time of response before we head out of here, that you would really think about some of the places in your life um, where God has been very kind to you, maybe where you really do have strengths, because we all have those, but also some of the areas that we need to, to develop and, and to grow into. Because what we're going to see next week is that Paul kneeling and praying for these things actually brings about the reality of, of this kind of hope. And these powerful promises actually become reality in the life of the church at Ephesus. And that is true. This, this might be an ancient text we're reading from today in Ephesians, but it has a very modern application immediately to our lives right now. So if you would pray with me, and then I uh, will come up and just share or, or uh, give us a little bit of time to think and to process. Father, thank you for this time we've had this morning. I do pray now that you would help us to really press into this truth of what it means to be a people who really care about who you are. We we have a desire to know you. You tell us when we look for you, you are you are easily found, God. We we know that you have been showing yourself to the world for thousands of years. And in every every word we've discussed today, I pray, Lord, that we have seen you more clearly and that we would dial into your voice right now, especially as we move into this time. Of, of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now listen, before I leave you, I just say two quick things. Um, if you have any questions about what we discussed today, if you have questions about the faith that you have in Jesus, if you have questions about faith in Jesus, if you need to be prayed for, if you have a need, if something is going on in your life or the life of somebody, please let us know that. Don't, don't practice truth in isolation. Practice truth in community. You know that we're here to support you in whatever it is God has called you to do in the world that you live in. Also want you to know, and this is true for you online too, you can reach us obviously not through Pollard, but by some of the digital technologies we use. This is also a time where we as partners of restoration give of our tithes and offerings, so I thank you for those who have, have been committed partners for your faithfulness over these last 10 years. If you're visiting wherever you are, we simply ask that you do as the Lord leads, but I want to stress that in these areas you do as the Lord leads. Don't, don't leave here putting an end on this truth leave here with a comma on how you will apply this truth. Those cards, your responses, those gifts can be put in these towers as we exit and after this time of benediction, excuse me, this time of responsive benediction. So if you would now focus the attention of your heart to Jesus, let him speak to you clearly about what his next steps for your life are.